Hello and welcome back to Security Insights, the podcast that takes a deeper look at today's most important issues in cybersecurity and beyond. I'm Stephen Pritchard, editor and presenter. After something of a pause, or even an informal truce during the pandemic, cyber attacks on healthcare are increasing. Smaller healthcare outfits, such as ambulance services, are now being targeted. So are suppliers to the healthcare system, from pharmaceuticals to support services. What then can IT and security professionals in the NHS and in the wider healthcare system do to defend themselves against cyber attacks and to recover from them? And what part does the UK's NHS cybersecurity strategy play? Our guest today is Trevor Deering, Director of Critical Infrastructure at Illumio. A large percentage of his work is now with NHS trusts and other healthcare providers. I asked him first to outline the threats to the healthcare sector and explore why it's being targeted. I think there was a uh, an intention during the pandemic for uh, for there not to be many attacks onto the healthcare sector, but the reality was that it was during that section during that time the most attacked um, group and the the number of ransomware attacks actually went up significantly so so whether that was intentionally or accidental is you know is is questionable because obviously we know that there is the danger that things like ransomware just go places they weren't necessarily targeted to go um i think you know a lot of the the attacks that we've we've sort of seen recently have been focused on software suppliers to healthcare providers, or they've been targeted at potentially trying to to sort of gain uh, medical records and and things like this. So, I guess the the challenge is always that that the attackers are developing the way that they that they do. They're they're changing their their sort of their um, operational method. Because recently we've seen the the value of individual records decline. So so whereas you know financial records and things like that used to command a high price, the value of that has gone down. So so for both healthcare and other critical industries, we've started to see an increase in sort of disruption or extortion based attacks. So if you can prevent an organisation from delivering the services it's meant to deliver you can command a higher you know a, a high ransom for for being able to to release that and what we've seen is recently there's been two cases in France where hospitals have had to divert patients now whether that is based on the fact that they couldn't deliver a service or that's just their their incident response plan is to divert patients to other places we you know we don't we don't actually know but the reality is that there is a, a bigger and bigger threat and healthcare is you know globally becoming a bigger and bigger target for a lot of the uh, a lot of the criminal gangs and so we have to look at given the the restricted resources and budget that that healthcare has in general we have to look at how we can do a better job with less or you know not or change the way that we we think about um, the way that we deliver cybersecurity into healthcare to you know to secure the healthcare market in general 
are we seeing are we seeing a particular emphasis on ransomware attacks because those are the ones that this may only be a perception but are those the ones that seem to be the most reported or actually is the range of attack vectors much broader than that i think i think it's actually much broader um you know when we look back a couple of years everything was ransomware attacks whether they were actually ransomware attacks, we don't know. Whether everyone assumed that they were ransomware attacks is a different question. But the the number of, I guess, disruptive or extortion attacks has grown and grown, and is probably equal in in volume to the uh, to the number of ransomware attacks. And that's been sort of come out in some some recent reports. So so people sort of when when you read things in the press. I think a lot of people understand the term, it's ransomware. They have no idea what ransomware is, but they just know it's ransomware. But the reality is that the type of attack that's behind that is can be broad and varied. It could be you know, a specific attack at a hospital to stop it delivering services. It could be an attack on a, um, a healthcare records provider to try and steal the data. Um, or it could be something more you know malicious and targeted on potentially individual individual patients within a hospital so you know i think i think the attack vector is much broader than people perceive it is because a lot of it is just wrapped up in the press and you know tv dramas and you know and all sorts of things like that so so i think there is there is a concern that that there is too probably too much focus in one area and not enough focus in looking at all of the all of the attack vectors. I know attribution for attacks can be difficult and motivation is not always easy to ascertain either. You talked about the change in value of individual records versus the potential to extract a financial reward for larger scale disruption. And we've seen that in other industries as well, particularly in critical industry sectors, where the, the price of paying the ransom may be less the price of trying to either prevent attacks or, or recover from them. But is there a different calculus around healthcare? And I'm thinking back to during the pandemic when some of the active cyber crime groups said that they weren't going to attack health providers during that time. Is there a different calculus? And should there be some sort of even negotiation at a national level to say, well, actually health is its own special case and needs some form of protection above and beyond what we might provide to say energy or transport yes i i, I would agree that there is uh, there is a special case and and because all healthcare in every country is stretched regardless of the structure how it's funded or or you know or, or how it operates and the model that a lot of a lot of countries have which is sort of broadly similar to to what we have in the uk is is that each individual hospital tends to be responsible for its own cyber security and you then potentially put people into that sort of choice of do i buy an mri machine or do i spend more on on cyber security so so we have to think differently about how we fund and resource um cybersecurity within 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 healthcare because most of the time a lot of the time it's not for profit um it's not like you know energy companies or organizations that are making substantial profits who you know who can easily invest in in their own protection 
healthcare is is different because it is a it is a service and you know and it and the, and the funding model is is quite restricted and that has a knock on effect in a in a lot of areas in that it's the 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 there's not as many people in that cybersecurity role and they're not necessarily paid as well as they would in you know in commercial business so there needs to be some sort of centralized funding model where budget for cybersecurity is ring fenced because the the challenge is always that that you don't know what the threat is and you don't know where it's coming from and you need to have that level of expertise and you need to invest in you know in certain things so you know the nhs do as a, a good a good job but the you know the the challenge that a lot of the tr- individual trusts have is they just don't have the resources to you know to be able to invest as much as they need to in cybersecurity so it becomes a real societal threat if something goes badly wrong. We'll come back to the NHS cybersecurity strategy in a moment, but before we do, it'd be interesting to just see your view on whether the NHS has faced specific threats and whether the threats to the NHS or its component parts are different in nature or severity to those that are faced by other healthcare providers in other countries or potentially other parts of the healthcare supply chain and ecosystem. Because again, it's a much broader, as you've already alluded to, it's a much broader group of organizations than than simply hospitals or doctor surgeries or even the um, ambulance service trusts which have experienced a, a number of attacks recently yeah i think i think that the, the challenge there and, and if we sort of sort of shift on a on a global more global basis the a lot of the um sort of hospital environments in major countries are much much bigger than than necessarily you would see you would see in the uk and so to a certain extent they do have a bit more critical you know critical um resource to you know to be able to deal with things like that i think the other as you said the other challenge around the fact of the the, the way that things are structured and, and this is again is a global thing is is the that because a lot of those services are tend to be outsourced and you know especially in in places like the US where you know where things are, are completely you know unstructured and disconnected the the challenge that you then you then face is being able to understand how each piece of that fits together so you know we 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 got a certain way forward with um in Europe with NIS, but the challenge with that is it didn't always necessarily reach down to the smaller entities within that, but NIS too hopefully will, you know, will be able to address that. And and so being able to understand how all the pieces of the pie fit together and understand the threats in each of those is what creates some of those challenges because if you think about it, yeah, we've seen you know attacks on various different parts of the health service, and and this is all you know. With this, we're we're talking post WannaCry here. That was you know, which was something completely different. But what we've seen since then is is sort of individual attacks on various different parts of the the health the health service, and you know, a lot of that is maybe you know maybe smaller 
um, crime gangs who are looking for easier targets. So it's not always going to be the big crime gangs who probably will go after the bigger, higher value things. It could be, you know, it could be smaller organized, smaller gangs going after after easier targets. But there is always the risk that healthcare, because of its structure, is perceived as an easy target, and that makes it, you know, and that that may be driving the sort of the growth and the huge sort of, you know, two hundred percent growth we saw at one point in the number of attacks on healthcare entities. And we've seen a similar trend in areas such as education as well, and we've covered that before with uh, education CISOs uh, on this series. But would you be able to identify in your analysis of the particular areas of the NHS that you would highlight as the most vulnerable? And I think it's interesting that we've seen that recent number of incidents around ambulance trusts because perhaps they were uh, less well defended than, say, a, a large metropolitan or teaching hospital. Yeah, I, th- I think that's I think that's true. I think the smaller the entity, the more at risk it is because the less um, resource and budget is going to have to for, to protect. Um, and so, it, when you get outside of the big cities, the big teaching hospitals, a lot of the the local trusts are actually really quite small. When you get into some of the more rural areas um, and the more sort of isolated areas, and that. You know, and that creates a, a real challenge because a lot of the NHS trusts have have you know cybersecurity staff of two or three people, and they not only have to build the the strategy, deliver it, manage it, and all the sort of things, but they're also having to manage their compliance. And you know, we got the shift from DS, DSPT to CAF happening. Um, there's you know a whole series of things going on there. And so all of those smaller environments are, you know, by definition going to be a lot more vulnerable than necessarily some of the larger, you know, the larger major teaching hospitals and and those specialist organisations who are, you know, extremely well funded. And what about the supply chains? Because, again, you have multiple supply chains into the health service. We also have research and development. We mentioned academia, uh, pharmaceutical distribution and even potentially quite minor services that wouldn't necessarily describe as frontline i think that's a huge a huge issue because you know if you think of for those who are old enough and can remember what we went through in the 1980s with the you know the 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 drive to apply market forces into the healthcare system we ended up with a huge amount of outsourcing of everything so, as you said, janitorial, catering, car parking, all of those, all of those services, who are now suppliers to that, you know, to a hospital, but are not necessarily controlled from a cybersecurity perspective by the hospital. And a lot of those organisations are very small as in themselves, local, you know, local cleaning companies and things like that, who don't necessarily have, you know, who potentially won't have any cybersecurity at all. And so trying to sort of manage and control that level of, of supply is a, is a real challenge because all of, all of those organisations at some point probably connect into the hospital network in some, in some sort of way, even if it's for you know, clocking in, if, it, if it's for payroll or, or, or some of these sort of services. So it, it, becomes a, it becomes a huge, huge sort of issue. And again, it becomes very difficult as we've seen for 
a hospital to potentially audit and manage and check the cyber security credentials of all of those suppliers. So you have to sort of take a, I guess, a, a almost a different approach to that. It's a bit like, yes, we we you know we're happy to let everyone into the into the hospital reception, but we don't want them getting into the operating theatre. So, so so mitigate mitigating the risk is you know becomes more important than necessarily trying to manage the risk of of all of those different suppliers. And it's you know it. It is the challenge that if you can sit in the coffee shop and connect to the Wi-Fi there and work your way through, you can you could potentially take control of the life support system or something like that. So, so it becomes very important to be able to again control and mitigate the impact that those suppliers have, rather than you know trying to spend all your time understanding what their cybersecurity posture is. And then this comes back to the relatively small size of some of the NHS trusts and organisations and the relatively small size of their security teams. They don't have the capacity, capability to go off auditing suppliers' own cybersecurity arrangements. And as you said, again, if they did invest heavily in that area, that potentially would mean a reduced budget for something else, whether it's their own protection or indeed ultimately clinical care. Yeah, I mean, that's correct. I mean, I, I sort of hope, so here's my personal hope that the move to some of these um, integrated care systems where there is a, you know, collaboration and partnerships happening between trusts on a, an, on a regional basis, that that will give them the opportunity to maybe look at cybersecurity in a different way. And again, you know, the, the, the NHS centrally does you know, does quite a good old, um, um, job of trying to sort of simplify the purchasing processes for um, some of the technology that, that organizations use around sort of um, network access and sort of monitoring systems and things like that. So, you know, by sort of purchasing central licensing and all these sort of things. But Again, it's it's the very nature and structure that is that is a challenge to building a robust cybersecurity posture. Well, how effective is the NHS cybersecurity strategy in your view? Is that starting to address the key issues? I, I think there is some progress, and it's you know it's like like all all of these strategies, it, it's going to take time to actually to actually sort of come in. And I think you know one of the things that's good and bad is where as we you know as organizations move from sort of complying with dspt to caf then that changes the way that the the cybersecurity posture is assessed it's more work for the, for the people doing it and that's that's a different challenge but i think that you know ultimately it should lead to um you know a better structure and a better um way of of measuring the cybersecurity capability of each of those each of those trusts um i think there's you know certain things that are in that cybersecurity strategy in that security strategy and, and things that probably should have been more called out you know i would have sort of liked to have seen a bit more not necessarily it's assumed that that includes OT, but maybe some of the sort of operational technology side of things called out in um, specifically because there is more, you know, over the next uh, seven years or so, there will be more and more integration between the 
OT and medical device side and the IT side. Um, there will be a lot more connectivity. There will be a lot more sort of intelligence in there that needs to be that needs to be addressed. And you know, the cost of that is going to be significant as well. So, so I think the cybersecurity strategy is a, a you know is a good start and will have an effect. And hopefully, as we progress towards twenty thirty, then you know more and more of that will become a lot more structured and simpler for the the trusts to be able to to be able to implement. And are there any particular lessons that we've learned from some of the previous attacks we've seen? The main thing is really understanding how we respond to those, because the, uh, a lot of the time the fo- you know the the focus on the response has been what happened how do we stop it happening again where did it where did the where the attack come from so using sort of technologies like xdr to understand what happened but i think one of the things that we need to do is almost shift our thinking a little bit to what are we going to do if there is an attack so how do we contain that attack um how do we make it better for a lot of this advanced technology to um to work better because you know, if you think about it, the big threat that everyone's starting to get animated about at the moment is AI, and especially AI-based attacks. And those attacks will look for, you know, all your open ports, all your all the places you could run um, malware, all of the you know all of the vulnerabilities. And so we're going to need to get much better at mitigating those sort of threats. And the answer to that isn't by using more AI, because that's very expensive. And again, it's a bit like using antibiotics. The The danger is that the the attacking AI learns about your defensive AI and can, can work around it. But, you know, the key to it is really being able to contain those attacks, being able to easily identify where the malware exists, and then using those advanced tools to clear it out, and then being able to respond quickly. So, so the thing that I'd you know, as I said, the thing that I think that we need to learn is better how to manage and maintain those services while we're under attack. And what other points should CISOs be looking at if they're reviewing their cybersecurity strategy and their information asset protection? And particularly, would you split out concerns or tactics or techniques that are specific to healthcare uh, from those that perhaps are more general best practice? The fundamentals are the fundamentals. So, you know, if you can do the basics properly, you are a long way to, you know, to to doing that. So, as we said, so, you know, it may be people think of this as a dirty word now, but zero trust is so, so useful in in the healthcare organ in the healthcare organizations. So adopt those principles of, you know, only allowing access when it's validated. Um, don't spend don't spend all your time looking for the bad stuff, just allow the good stuff. And and so, you know, I would, if I was a CISO uh, in, in any part of healthcare, I would really, really go down that zero trust route because, you know, it's it, it, it's been adopted in a lot of healthcare providers around the world. And it is, you know, it is very successful. And it is, it does mean that you are, do, you know, you get to focus on those basics that that save you money that you're not investing in yet more expensive technology so again i you know do the basics well go down zero trust route and 
you know, and be judicious about where you're spending lots of money on what looks like this year's sexiest advanced technology. Indeed, because again, if we go all the way back to probably where this conversation would have started with WannaCry, the impact of WannaCry on the health sector was significant, but it wasn't the target. It was simply that the health sector had not done those basics. It hadn't done the housekeeping that it needed to do around uh, particular versions of Windows. And then when the WannaCry malware got out there, it just found ways in. I, and I think that that's a lesson. That's a lesson to us all. It's do the basics well, and you're halfway down the you know you're halfway down the path. And are we seeing, despite everything we said, are we seeing a professionalisation of cybersecurity within the health sector? And again, you mentioned before we went on air, you mentioned about you know, being the first person in your firm to have a PC uh, back when those were quite new technology. As a perception, certainly at the community and the primary care level, that, that oftentimes doctor surgeries automated because there was a doctor interested in PCs and did a bit of you know, setting some up almost on a hobbyist basis in their spare time, and, and it grew quite organically from there. And, and that may be one reason that cybersecurity risks were not addressed early on. I know the NHS has done quite a lot to fix that problem through centralized sourcing and so forth. But is there still that approach that actually this is not a profession within a profession? Or do you think that now security, data security is seen as a key professional competence within healthcare and the NHS in particular? I think it's improving. Um, to, it's, diff it's difficult to put this politically correct. Um, I think the, you know, I think the thing is that there is always going to be this perception that it, that security is part of IT services, and and uh, the, the challenge the challenge with that is it, it they aren't necessarily being able to, um, I guess, bring the right skills in to the into the into the organisation based on that. So so I think there's you know there is always a challenge that that cybersecurity isn't perceived as as important as it should be. And and I think you're right. I think there's, you know, the way that IT sort of has developed is, you know, especially in GP surgeries has historically been sort of sort of as a as a hobby initially. But I think as as you get these larger GP, you know, these larger GP practices, I think that becomes a bit more professional. Um but I but again, you know, it's almost if there is a regional you know as part of the integrated care service or system if there is cybersecurity built into that technology sorry built into that structure that's able to provide support to all of things like gp surgeries care homes dentists all of those sort of parts that make up that that system then that will be a huge 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 step forward Trevor Deering of Illumio on the development and professionalisation of cybersecurity in healthcare and how healthcare organisations need to stay ahead of a developing threat. That, though, is all for this episode of Security Insights. In our next programme, our guest will be Professor Stephen Fennell of the University of Nottingham. He'll be talking about the UK government's latest cyber breaches survey and what organisations should do in the aftermath of a cyber attack. You can listen to that episode from Thursday the 5th of October. 
Until then, do catch up on our past programmes on our website, securityinsights.co.uk, or subscribe and rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon or Spotify. Thanks again for listening. Security Insights is written and presented by Stephen Pritchard and is produced by ENS Media. To find out more about our podcasting and other services, visit us on the website at www.ensmedia.co.uk.